I invite you to take your scriptures back and turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We do have a few of the uh, DVDs that we showed in Sunday School a few weeks back, if you'd like to purchase one of those at the price we got it. And I also have just a couple left of these journals for 1 Corinthians as we go through this series. If you'd like to have this to take notes in, I do have a couple of those available as well. Just see me after the service today. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 16, as Matt read for us. Our series title, as you can see, is In Christ and in Corinth. And that's the tension, isn't it? And you read through the book and you'll see as you come on Sunday mornings that the tension was in a lot of different areas. There was a moral tension. Um, the Corinthians who became Christians had to be different in their morality um, than the Corinthian people around them, which were very decadent. And so there's a tension morally, but also there was a tension intellectually. And we want to go after that one today. Uh, not only did God expect them to change the way they lived, but also the way they thought uh, about life and everything in it. And they needed to make a break with Corinth in both the way they behaved and the way they believed. And that's why Paul wrote 1 Corinthians to them. And that's why we read it today. Um, there is a tension and to be in Jersey and to be in Jesus at the same time is not always easy. Um, Jesus' morals and Jesus' mindset um, are very counter to what goes on in our state, in our town, and in our schools and the places that you work. Top 10 2020 uh, uh, survey, top 10 most liberal um, states in America. New Jersey made that list. So you can know up front, and probably don't need to be told that by surveys, that um, what New Jersey is all about and what God is all about is often quite opposite. So Paul tells the Corinthians they need to make a break with human wisdom. That's what philosophy is. It's a compound word taken from a Greek word. means to be lovers of wisdom. And Greek uh, Corinthian people were just that. And they loved to borrow from the world's wisdom. But Paul wants to write to them and what he wants to tell them and he wants to tell us this morning is that when it comes to spiritual matters, the world's wisdom, human wisdom, is quite unnecessary and it has absolutely nothing to offer them. But when I say that, please don't misunderstand. I'm not trying to say that on some level that our world is trying and does make some quite amazing uh, discoveries and have some amazing knowledge scientifically, medically, technologically. And so when we reject as Christians human wisdom, I don't mean that the world doesn't have a level of wisdom and many applications to things that we all enjoy. We carry iPhones and, and we have iPads and all the things that go with it. And far more seriously than that, I mean, we have to admit, don't we as believers, we don't have the answers to everything. Um, I certainly don't. When my car breaks down, you don't I don't look under the hood. Um, I get to the dealer. Why? Because I'm not going to be able to fix it. Um, I don't know how to do that. And you don't have to be a Christian to know how to fix a car. Um, and there are obviously things that are taking place. Our world is good and all the electronics that we have and then the medical um, accomplishments. Did you know there's a thing out now called the, the gamma knife? Um, it'd be able, when they have brain surgery, 
it actually can deaden or kill the cells in a brain tumor and all the while not killing all of the other cells that are good at the exact same time. I mean, it's amazing some of the strides that we've made uh, medically. Um, did you know that um, we are on the verge, or so they say, of eliminating tooth decay? I, I, I never had to go to the dentist ever again. Sorry if you're a dentist in here. Uh, I, I would be extremely, my wallet would be very happy. Um, but they now have the ability to weld enamel onto your teeth using laser beams. So they can, if you're running out of enamel or you're getting older like me, you can put enamel on your teeth so that you don't have any more cavities. Did you know that they are having surgeries, serious surgeries, now that the surgeon will no longer be in the surgical room with you? They can do surgery in the next room across the way on a computer while robotic, robotic arms are doing the surgery. Now, that probably wouldn't be very comforting to me, but they can do that. It's crazy, really, all the things... So it's not that our world doesn't have wisdom and there isn't any applications to it. In fact, listen to what Jesus says in Luke 16, 8. He says, For the sons of this age are in their generation wiser than the sons of light. In other words, the world is even smarter than Christians in their domain sometimes than we are in our own. So what I'm saying this morning in this message is that we're not denying human wisdom at all. But what I am saying, and what I believe the Apostle Paul is saying, is when human wisdom is applied to ultimate issues, and by that I mean, namely, God, sin, man's destiny, salvation, morality, ethics, how your life is transformed, you see, the wisdom of the world in those areas is totally bankrupt. Paul says, in chapter 2 and verse 5, that he did not, explicitly did not want their faith, their salvation, their relationship with God based on the wisdom of men. That's where we left off last week. In other words, here's what Paul would say. I don't, gospel does not need for you to add in addition to, any, to the gospel in any way, shape, or form. God doesn't need man's reason. But here's what Paul would say. But man needs God's reasoning. But they don't believe that. And neither did you before you came to the cross. In fact, here's what the text says. That to people who only have human wisdom, spiritual wisdom is moronic. And that's actually the Greek word. It's absolute foolishness to them. So you tell them that they need a Savior in their life and they need to know Jesus and He died and rose. That's foolishness to them. In fact, here's what I, I'm going to read a quote from a lost person. You expect us intellectuals with college degrees and more, and all our sophisticated philosophies. You expect us to believe that 2,000 year years ago, some Jewish rabbi died on the cross as an insurrectionist of Rome, and that's the whole crux of human history. And the answer is yes. But to the person who said that, that statement would be utter foolishness to them. Paul is going to continue his argument and speaking to the worthlessness of human wisdom as in comparison to God's wisdom when it comes to the ultimate questions in life. If you'll notice in your text, in verse 6 and in verse 7 and then down in verse 13, the ESV translates it the word in part. Literally, it means we speak. And he's going to, in each one of these three instances, and I want to unpack them all three of them this morning for you, 
He is going to compare true wisdom with false wisdom, man's wisdom with God's wisdom. And he's going to tell us, in no uncertain terms, why is it when people hear the gospel, they hear God's wisdom, why don't they get it? Why is it that very few people are saved and very few people come to the knowledge of the truth? And so he's going to tell them, Not everybody buys into God's wisdom. And here's the reason why. The reason the world doesn't get it, and this isn't profound, they don't get it because they're not Christians. Now, hear me out. Paul does not say in our text that you should understand God's wisdom, and when you do, then you'll become a Christian. And we try to witness that way sometimes. The truth is actually in reverse of that. Did you know you have to become a Christian first and then you'll be able to understand God's wisdom? Here's what he says to us in chapter 2 and verse 6. Yet among the mature do we impart wisdom. See, Paul says, and the word mature means to be complete, to be whole. It either can talk about a, a Christian who has matured in their growth or it can be just a term to describe Christians. And in the context, you'll see that what Paul is doing, he's just contrasting Christians and unbelievers, right? He's going to say, hey, someone who's complete in Christ, someone who's a Christian, they're so far... And so I'm going to speak to you as a Christian. Here's what he's going to say, because I can't speak to you these things if you were lost, if you're an unbeliever, because you have to have Jesus to get it. Now, I'll give you an example. And I talked to him this weekend. He's okay with it. And by the way, Ed Canning told me to tell everyone hi, and he missed everybody. You know how Ed is. And that was great. He used to sit back there, I can see right back where Willie was, right there, for years and years, probably two decades. So for 20 years, I have a good relationship with Ed, talking to him. He sat there, sermon after sermon after sermon, for years and years and years. But Ed didn't get it. He didn't get it. And then just a few years ago, and if you were here, he got saved and then he got baptized. One Sunday morning, Ed was coming down the aisle after the sermon. And so I'm waiting at the aisle, and I'm thinking he wants to talk to me about something, talk to me. He was very, he loved to talk, you know, Ed. And so he comes down the aisle, and he, Pastor Walker, he says, I think I understand. I go, what? He goes, I need Jesus. I go, what? He goes, yeah. He goes, I need Jesus, you know. He goes, you know, being saved. I go, yeah, I, I do know about that a little bit. <laughs> he says, I go, you really? He goes, yeah. And he goes, he's dead serious. He goes, can we sit down a minute? So we talked, and he told me uh, that he understood. And here's what he said, and, and I'd like to do that right now. Is that okay? I go, no, we'll put it off till tomorrow. No, he goes, we'll do it right now. So Ed is in tears, front row, and he accepts Jesus. You know, I talked to him just a week or so later, and he said, you know what, Pastor Walker, it's so amazing. He goes, for all these years, I sat here and heard all these things, and he goes, finally, he go, this is his words, he goes, I actually get it. I actually get it. And now I know what my life is about. I know what life is for. I know, and he says, I get it now. See, that's what Paul's saying. And there's a lot of people, and he talks to them. He goes, let me, in part, let me speak to you as, as Christians, as mature people. He says, listen, and here's the principle, just get this this morning. True wisdom of God is not humanly discovered, but divinely revealed. And I'm going to say it again. True wisdom of God is not humanly discovered, it is divinely revealed. And then he's going to give us, watch this, because this blows my every, I used to think about this in school. 
He's going to give an example of this very truth in our text. Look at verses 6, 7, and 8. He says this, Let me show you that only saved people get the wisdom of God's spiritual things. He says in verse 6, Yet among us we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age. And he's going to say that little phrase, rulers of this age, in verse 6 and verse 8. And it talks about, I think it refers to the Jewish rulers who were religious and the secular leaders or rulers that were Roman. He says, people of this age, of this time period, he says, they are doomed to pass away. We impart a secret, hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before. In other words, these people can't get it. God's revealed it in his word, but they don't get it. And he's going to tell you why. He says, none of the rulers of this age understood. They didn't get what Jesus said. Have you ever thought about this? How can they walk around, see Jesus, watch him perform miraculous things of healing people, raising people from the dead, hear him speak. Even the Roman soldiers who had to report back to Pilate, they said, you know, he said, we've never heard a man speak like this before. They see all of these things, and they don't get it. <laughs> they don't get it. He said none of the rulers of this age understood. They couldn't get it. Understand is used three times in this text. They don't understand spiritual things. Why? Because they're not spiritual. See, hear me, you cannot on your own discover God. You cannot. And you cannot understand God and come to God and find God and know God, one, through human religion, i.e. Jewish Jewish leaders. You cannot come to God and know God through rationalism, i.e. Roman leaders. See, the Romans were incredibly educated. They were very high in philosophy. And the best and the wisest people in the first century could not understand this truth that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God. They couldn't get that. And no matter what they saw, no matter what they heard, they could not grasp it. The religious people, and this is the scariest, so please listen. The Jewish people who were steeped in the Bible who worshiped the true God, who knew the Bible so well that they had practically the whole thing memorized. They studied it, they memorized it, they meditated on it. I mean, it was their life to know the Word of God in the Old Testament. And they didn't get it. Do you hear that? They didn't get it. And, and when they didn't get it, here's what it resulted in. Ready? Their doom and Jesus' death. At the end of verse 6, it was their doom. And it says, and you know why? They didn't, understand, they didn't understand it, and here's what they did. And they crucified the Lord of glory. See, when you don't get it, you are not neutral. You are not just passive. You are against God. And they crucified the Lord. They rejected him. See, I talk to people all the time, religious people, and I tell them, and, and probably not picking on them, but most of the people I talk to are Catholic in this area. And most of them don't get it. I tell them that Jesus died for them and rose again. I tell them it's not about what you do, it's what he's done. I said that at the funeral yesterday at the graveside. And I said this verse, Titus 1-2, in hope of eternal life which God who cannot lie promised before time began. And then I explained it. And a lady after the funeral comes up to me and she goes, Pastor Walker, that was very interesting. She goes, I've never thought of that before. She goes, I'm going to go home and read 2 uh, Titus. She messed that up. 
And she goes, I'm going to think about that verse because I didn't know that it could happen that way. Now here's a woman who's been Catholic and religious all her life. And for someone to tell her that she had to inherit eternal life and not earn it, not work for it, not do the sacraments, not go to... See, she doesn't get it. I'm hoping she was. I'm praying that she will. But she, I, they, they tell me, I'm born Catholic, I'm raised Catholic, I went to Catholic schools, and, and not just them, but other religions as well. And see, I'm a good moral person. Isn't that what they say? Are you going to go to heaven when you die? I, I'm a really pretty good person. See, the, uh, they don't get it. They don't get it. I've talked to and had lunch with numerous people, even more in recent days, five lunches in a row with one guy who's incredibly intellectual, and he says, I can't believe in God because he's not empirical, meaning I can't discover him by the scientific method. I can't touch him, see him, talk to him, so I can't really know him, and I don't really think he exists. And then he would say, and by the way, Christianity is probably just a crush for weak people. And then he would ask me, as we send two-hour lunches, if God is real, why doesn't he solve world problems? If God is real and, and he's loved, then why would he ever send people to hell? But I've come to the realization the Bible is exactly right. You know, you cannot discover God through religion, and you cannot discover God through reasoning. Lee Strobel, we watched the movie a year ago, New Year's Eve, I think, The Case for Christ. If you've never read the book, it's also worth getting. But he said in his heart and mind as an atheist that I don't believe in God. And so he set out on a two-year adventure with this question in mind, does Christianity make any sense and does it have any credibility whatsoever? Two years, if you watched the movie, read the book, you know he, uh, he uh, got together or accumulated an avalanche of material. That's his words. And he was trying all the way, made trips, spent money, flew planes, if, to talk to religious people, all kinds of things. He came to the conclusion after two years that it would take more faith to maintain being an atheist than it would to become a Christian. So on November 8, 1981, he gave his life to Jesus, and then he said this, I finally get it. <laughs> I finally get it. And his entire life changed. You see, the Bible says that God's wisdom, verse 7, is hidden. It's secret. Not because it's a secret religion or hidden like some of these people and other religions would say. No, it's not hidden because it's not there. It's hidden because you can't get it. You can't know it the normal ways that people know things. And none of the rulers, none of them, it didn't matter whether you were Jewish and knew the Bible, Roman if you didn't, it didn't matter whether you are religious or intellectual, he says, it doesn't matter who you are, you can't get it that way. You can't discover God that way. Because Christians are people who have not found God, but people that God has found them. Jesus said it in no uncertain terms to Nicodemus, I'm sorry, to Zacchaeus, when he said, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. See, sinners don't seek God. God seeks sinners. Romans 3.11 says, There are none that seeketh after God. Not one. Not one person in this room today who is a Christian was after God. But everyone who's a Christian in this room should know this, but God was after you. 
I've heard testimonies, and I know they're well-meaning, and someone says, hey, and they give the day, and that's the day I found the Lord. It's, it's, I understand what you're saying, but theologically, see, God is not lost. So you don't have to find Him. You're lost. And He had to find you. See, you can't know God without God. You can't. God's wisdom is not available to people through religion or rationalism or philosophy. There will never be a world-developed religion that is true because they cannot know God through those ways. Paul said it clearly. I preach Christ and Him crucified. That is the way. The only way. And so Paul, and I might break your bubble here a little bit, in verse 9 he quotes a text from Isaiah 64, 4, and he says, But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Now, hold on, that is not a text about heaven. If you've heard that, I'm sorry, but if you read Isaiah 64, 4, that's not the context. The context of that quotation is that God is talking about unbelievers not being able to know what salvation really is like. They can't know it. It's an awesome thing, but they can't grasp it. And please look at the text. He says God has prepared some amazing things, fantastic things, and who has he prepared them for? For those who what? Love him. You see what has to be antecedent? See, you have to know God. You have to have a relationship with Him. Paul calls it love. See, when you love God, then He's got things for you. He's prepared things for you. But you cannot know these things if you do not love Him, he says. Two ways that human wisdom says that you can know something. Objectively, and in the text, look at the quote, through your eyes or through your ears. See, if you can look at something... And you can see it, and you can test it, and you can touch it, and it's tangible. See, then I can know that it's a reality. Or through my ears, if I can hear it, and I can listen to it, and someone can inform me about it, and there's data, and there's objective criteria, and I can see, I can see it or I can hear it, see, then I know it's true. And here's what God says, No eye has seen, nor ear has heard. You cannot know God and His salvation through those types of means. You cannot. It's not observable, and it's not evaluable. In other words, you know how they, people go around and say, hey, wow, did you see, I think someone saw Bigfoot. You know, I, I think, there's not God sightings. Whoa, look, there's God. I'm sorry. And God doesn't just appear, by the way. He doesn't appear, as one pastor said, who was erroneous at least, I'll leave it at that who said when he was shaving in the morning that Jesus appeared in the mirror and he had a conversation while he was shaving with Jesus? Hogwash. It's not true. Jesus doesn't say, hey, hi, here I am in your mirror. Let me give you a few instructions for what I want you to do. It doesn't work that way. It's not observable. You don't hear it. You don't listen to it in that sense. And the other way that humans do it in their wisdom is subjective truth. Well, you know, I don't know if it's real or true, but I feel it in my heart. So that must be right. See, that's what's wrong with transgender today. See, they know the objective truth, but they deny it because they want to define themselves through their own design of what their identity is. So I feel that I am this. But here's what God says. 
Not eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor ever entered into the imagination of someone's heart. You don't feel your way to God. You don't. Externally, you can't do it through seeing and hearing. Internally, you can't do it just because your heart is feeling that you might be spiritual. And you might say, well, Pastor Walker, wow, that's pretty depressing. So I can't come to God by watching him or hearing him, and I can't do it by feeling him, then I'm pretty much hopeless. And, and the answer to that is absolutely not. Because what is our principle today? True wisdom of God is not humanly discovered, but divinely revealed. And Paul says, let me tell you this, you can't know God this way, and he, he lays it all out, but he says, wait, 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 but you can know him this way. And you know what this way is? The Bible. The Bible. See, here's the three things, and let me just go over them while we're done. Revelation, inspiration, illumination. Revelation, here's what he says in verse 10. These things God has revealed to us. God had to step in. He had to tell us these things, and we call this the Bible. He revealed them to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths, Greek word, bathos. Bathysphere, you know the little round thing, and it goes way down in the ocean, way below anybody, anything, and what do they send it down there for? Because there are things down in the bottom of the ocean that you'll never see, you'll never know about, and you have to be in the bathysphere, because the bathysphere can go really down far and let you see these creatures that are crazy looking and weird stuff down there, but you wouldn't know them. Only the bathysphere can tell you about them. And here's what he says. You can't know about God. You can't know the deep things about God. You can't know the greatest spiritualities, no matter who you are. Jesus says to Nicodemus, and he, you are the teacher in Israel, and you don't know these things? He says, that's why you have to be born again, because physically is all you've got, Nicodemus. You don't get it. You are the most learned man in the scriptures and all of Israel, and you don't get it, because you can't get it, because only God can reveal God, and he has, through the Spirit, in this book, we have the privilege to hold in our hands the Word of God. He's revealed it to us, and he says, verse 11, for who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person? Who knows you best? You. I've been married to my wife 33 years. She should get applause or feel sorry for her either way. 33 years, and she knows me better than anybody else. See, I have a scar right here in my hand. I have a scar on my forehead. I have a scar on my chin. You can't see it. She knows why. and I, She knows I have those scars. She knows why I have those scars. She knows that I have never had to have, a, I've never had a cavity. Never had to have anything filled. It's awesome. <laughs> but you know what? There are certain things about me my wife doesn't even know. I'm not sure what they would be, but there are. You know what the Bible says? You know, the Spirit of God is the perfect person to reveal God in a Bible like this. You know why? Because he knows God because he is God. He knows him in ways that nobody else can know him. The Spirit of God knows everything about God because he is God. And so God chose him to reveal to us what God is all about, and also his salvation, and how you can have a relationship with him. And you know how he did it? In these ancient words. 
And this text called the Bible. And how did we get it? Well, that's the revelation. But what about the inspiration? Can we trust it? Verse 12 says, now we, now the we, circle it, that's not we, you and I, or the Corinthians, that's we, the apostles, right? We, the apostles, were chosen by God, he says, and it says, we have received not the spirit of this world, but what we got, the revelation was not from the world, it was from God, the spirit of God. And it says that we might understand. See, you can't understand it without God, but we can. Why? We're better than you know. Because God saved us and gave us his Holy Spirit, and he inspired the authors of Scripture and gave them the Bible. And the word is freely or translated graciously. They didn't have to do anything special. They didn't earn it because they were better. But God gave them his word freely. Why? So that, next phrase, so that they could teach it to us. That's transmission of the scriptures. That's how we get this Bible. God inspired the authors. Truthfully, he inspired his words and gave it to the authors so that he could give us the knowledge of who he is because he desires for you and me to know him personally. Verse 13, third use, and we speak, listen to this, we speak this in words. Theologic, theology, ready? Verbal inspiration. Did you know that the Bible is not just inspired in its concepts? It's not that just on a whole the Bible is true. Every word of God, every word of God is true. Satan comes to Jesus in the wilderness and is tempting him, and he quotes Deuteronomy, and he says to him, to Jesus, Right? You can eat this bread, right? And Jesus says, no, no, no. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by the general principles of the word of God. That's not what he says. What does he say? Jesus quotes, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Did you know every word of this book is true? Every word of God is true. We speak it in words, he says, in the Bible. Now, Pastor Walker, why does it matter? Why does it matter? To Thomas Jefferson, it didn't matter because Thomas Jefferson had what was called, we call the Gillette Bible. In other words, he took a razor blade and cut out all the pieces in the Bible, especially in the Gospels, because he didn't believe that miraculous supernatural things were really true. They were just made up stories. So he took a Bible and cut out all the things about the Red Sea and the miracles and the, and the things that Jesus did. He cut them all out and said, well, here's the real Bible. Can I tell you this? Thomas Jefferson was completely wrong. Every word, every story, every line, every word in this book is true. Every single one of them. And why is that important? Because of the third step the Spirit has to do in your life so that you can be saved. Not just revelation, not just inspiration that it's all true when you read it, but illumination. Look at verse 14. There are two types of people in the Bible. A natural man who doesn't have God's wisdom and only human wisdom, and then there's the spiritual man. What's the difference between the two? And listen, and think about this. Which one are you? The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. So I'm talking to you about the cross today, and some people are going like, yeah, 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 I know you're a pastor, that's religious stuff, I understand. So you don't get it. You don't get it. 
For they are folly to him. It's moronic. It's foolish. You know why? He is not, not that he just can if he really wanted to. No, he's not able to. See it? He doesn't have the capacity. It's not within him to understand these things. Why? Because they are spiritually discerned. You have to have God's spirit in order to do it. You can't grasp it. You don't have the ability. Remember when Jesus was walking down the Emmaus Road after his resurrection and Cleophas and his wife were there and Jesus was talking to them and he starts telling them about how he's in all the, kind, all the scriptures and all the Tanakh of the Old Testament, every part of it. And he's going through this awesome Bible study and then it says, and their eyes were opened and they understood the truth. You see, you can give someone, and you have it. In fact, you, if you have it on your phone, you can raise your phone. If you have your Bible, raise your hand. Put it, put it in the air. Cool, isn't it? Wow. Awesome. You know what's not awesome? Is that you can have this book, and you can read this book, and you don't understand it. You don't get it. Do you know it's true that you can know about God, but not know God? It's true. Paul says the natural man, he's never had his eyes open. The prayer of the psalmist in 119.18 says, Open my eyes that I might behold wonderful things out of your law. See, unless God opens your eyes, you cannot understand who he is, what he's done, and how you can know him. You can't do that on your own. God has to do that. The natural man... He can't do it. He has no ability. But the spiritual man, and he closes the text with a second Isaiah quote. The first one was from the end of Isaiah. The second one is from the beginning of Isaiah. And he says, who can know the mind of the Lord to instruct him? In other words, Isaiah says, you can't know God's thoughts. You can't know his mind. You can't know God. Paul says, we can. You know how we can? Isaiah 40 would allude to it. You have to have the Spirit of God tell you. You can't know Him on your own. But the Spirit of God, He can tell you. Spiritual people understand spiritual things, spiritual realities. You ever had someone tell you this? What in the world? Why do you go to church so much? No, you say, I, gotta, I can't come. To, I, I'm going to church tonight. What? Didn't you go this morning? Yeah, and I'm going on Wednesday. You're going to go three times to church in one week? Are you really bad or something? They don't get it. They don't get it. You tell someone, you read the Bible, you know, get, tell someone this, hey, you know what? I give 10% of my money to church. Are you out of your mind? They don't get it. They don't get it. You what? You submit to your husband? Seriously? You think it's wrong to... You don't do that? Really? They don't get it. Why? Because the natural man, they don't understand the things of God. Not at all. But the spiritual man does. He does. And you can't get it through your education. You can't get it through your experience. You can only get it from God. Through the Spirit and His Word. And Paul would say, which one are you? Are you the natural man? Natural person? Are you spiritual? I don't mean spiritual on your own. You can think about things that are good. No, not today's spiritual. Spiritual meaning, do you really know God? Do you have a relationship? And if you do, and if you love him, he's got amazing things 
He wants to reveal to you. But you have to know him and love him. Do you? Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, we're going to conclude by singing a song in our hymn books, Open My Eyes That I Might See. But you may be here this morning with your head bowed and eyes closed. You say, Pastor Walker, I come here all the time. Kind of like that guy you mentioned, Ed Koenig. Yeah. Maybe for years. Maybe even serve in a capacity, work in the... I don't know. I say, Pastor Walker, I haven't been coming here very long at all. But I, I'm, I'm a religious person. But maybe the Holy Spirit of God is working on you. And I'm praying that He would bring regeneration into your life that you might, like Nicodemus, need to be born again. And He'd open your eyes. And maybe if He has this morning, you say, Pastor Walker, He's opened my... I can't earn it. I can't get it through intellectualism or rationalism or being religious or being good. I hear the Bible for the first time in my life. I I get it. I'm getting it. I get it. I need Jesus. He died for me on the cross and rose again. He paid the penalty. He's my only hope. He's the only God, my only Savior. And I want to put my trust in Him. I'll be here after the service this morning. Please, come forward. Let me or someone take this wonderful, inspired word of God and show you how you can really know him. But maybe you're here this morning and you're a believer. Next week we're going to talk about this. You know what? People who really know God, who are spiritual, need to live like it. Because next week he's going to say, if you're really spiritual, why are you so carnal? Why are you so selfish? You're acting like you just got saved, like you're a babe in Christ. You should know better. See, maybe you're a Christian here and you say, well, I know the Bible and I know God. Pastor, there's some things really wrong in my life. I need help. That's why we're here. We want to help you to grow, to really live out that wonderful, amazing, God-given salvation. If you want to pray about that or talk with someone, we'd be here for you too. Master, we pray that you would, through your spirit and word, work in hearts this morning. Nothing of eternal value can be accomplished apart from that. So move in their lives, move in our hearts, change us. And those who don't know you, God, may they find that they can know you through Jesus, your son, and what he's done for them. Holy Spirit, would you work? Work in our hearts of those who do know us, that we might live out every day and in every way and in every relationship these wonderful, wonderful things you reveal to us. Continue to open our eyes that we might see you, Jesus. And in doing so, be like you. We pray in your name. Amen.